0: Alright, good morning. Good to see you guys. Good to somewhat see everybody watching online. And let's go ahead and all open up our Bibles to Galatians 1. You can find that if you're here with us in person this morning on page 972. Looking forward to digging into this book to start uh, the new year. But first, just piggybacking off of Francis's prayer, I just want to provide a, a couple updates Um, uh, starting with uh, our family. Thank you for a lot of people who've been asking and and reaching out Um, the days leading up to Christmas. Rochelle and I did test positive with COVID. And as you know, and probably many of you have experienced yourselves, it's a virus that hits people very differently. And that was even the case between Rochelle and I. Uh, But all in all, uh, God sustained us through. Uh, we were fortunate that our kids were not impacted at all, uh, other than some plans and disruption to plans and seeing family uh, at Christmas. But um, as you can even see here, uh, if if you're here this morning, you've probably just got over COVID, or you are one of the few that managed to dodge it in the last week in exposure. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, we're aware that the vast majority of our church will be streaming here uh, this week. And we're just going to be kind of taking this week to week here and trying to monitor and check in with all those uh, that we know that have been impacted. Um, but, you know, we remain in these strange times, man. It's, it's crazy that we really are coming up on two years of this. And fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, um, we are very adept now at changing plans on the dime. And as Fran just mentioned, we, we moved our Christmas Eve service to all virtual, which I probably grieved more than anyone. Uh, I've been in this building, in this room, every Christmas Eve since I was six years old. And uh, that is a highlight for me. And uh, I, maybe this is just me being self-conscious, but it wasn't that, okay, our family got COVID, so now no one could come to Christmas Eve. That wasn't like the, the line of thinking here. Uh, there was, in, in really the 36 hours before that service, a... Uh, A lot of people that were involved, either volunteering, serving music, uh, that were impacted or exposed or tested positive, and uh, we found kind of all our different ways to try to see how can we still maintain the service. Even before we knew that we were exposed, Joe was prepared to step in for me if something happened. Uh, But with all kind of the people that were impacted, uh, I really had to come to the realization that, okay, let's not turn Christmas Eve into an idol. And let's not kind of almost, it became untenable to have it and unwise in person. And so we went virtual and all things considered, it really was a beautiful service. Uh, thank you to uh, AJ for scrambling with less than a day's notice to get everybody recorded. I think he and Joe were here uh, recording that message at 10 o'clock at night the night before Christmas Eve, uh, and and literally, you know, then the music and all the components, AJ puts it together, uploads it with minutes to spare before uh, we kind of went live with it on YouTube, and so... Uh, you know, and Joe stepping in with, again, one day's notice to give the Christmas Eve sermon with a two-week-old at home. Uh, just all kind of different factors, really all things considered, really just to echo Francis' beautiful prayer. Uh, we, we were reminded and uh, assured in the, in the promise and grace of Jesus Christ even in the midst of the uncertainty. So, now, as we do turn the calendar, uh, our plan and our hope is to do in-person services uh, and continue to provide the live stream. Again, take it week to week, uh, but we'll be here. Anybody who wants to come here and is able to, we'd love to have join us. Um, our kids ministry is also going to be very week to week. Uh, so again, that was two days ago. We had to say there's no kids ministry today. Again, to, to volunteers being exposed and just not being able to cover that ministry. And so I ask that you be patient with us, uh, that again, that's something that we're all now used to for a couple years of being, um, being flexible and, and try together, not grow weary in the midst of those disruptions. Um, and so, January 2nd, we start a new year amidst disruption, amidst maybe low-level, maybe high-level stress, anxiety, and every new year, we talk about wanting to reset our minds, especially vital this year, that we would ensure that our feet are on the rock when we are constantly surrounded by shifting sand and try to instate and be reminded of some practices and rhythms that will uh, fix our feet on that rock and our eyes on Christ. And uh, to that end, one reason why, one thing I love to do, if you know me, is I love to give away books. And if you came into the church this morning, you might have seen at different tables that on... uh, all the tables, there is a couple of a, copies of a book called Gentle and Lowly. And this is a book that we're able to, because of Crossway, the publisher's uh, generosity in giving free books to churches to give to their people, everybody can get a copy. So it's not just one per family, every single person can get one. Uh, I know several of you have actually talked to this morning have already read Gentle and Lowly. It's a really fantastic book. Take one anyway, and then give it to somebody who maybe has not read it yet yourself. Um, but it is really a book by author named Dane Ortland, who uh, really wants to talk about the subtitle of the book being "The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers," and that the one time in the Bible Jesus describes His own heart, the one verse that He describes His heart for His people, He uses the words that He's gentle and lowly, and really, book kind of walks through. Uh, through that. So um, my hope is at some point in the next month or so to do some kind of virtual book club. Since Everyone's going to have a copy of this uh, to be done on Zoom and not sure the details of that, but we'll be in touch with you to kind of be able to, if whoever wants to, enter into some discussion on this book. But it will be a great way for us to start the new year together. So with that said, let's go into the book of Galatians, and this morning we're going to cover the greeting. according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pastor and commentator John Stott once said on this passage, quote, We all need to go back to grace to move forward in life. We all need to go back to grace to move forward in life. And I think for me personally, that is such a good word to begin this new year. And also as a pastor, I increasingly find that many professing Christians, I'd say especially those who grew up in the church but not limited to them, many professing Christians do not truly understand and live in the reality of Grace. Grace is the foundational word that separates Christianity from every other religion, from every other worldview, past and present, religious, secular in the history of the world. Uh, There's a well-known anecdote, a story about C.S. Lewis that you may have heard before. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford in England, right? Very prestigious academic institution. Um, And there was a group of professors at Oxford uh, that were having a discussion of how basically all religions are essentially the same. Um, You know, that the names of the gods might be different. The traditions uh, might be different, but like different branches of the same tree, Uh, All religions are just extensions of the same thing. And that's a common belief then, in the middle of the 20th century. It's still a very common belief today. Maybe if you're watching or or you're here this morning, maybe you empathize with that a little bit, that all religions are kind of the same when you boil it all down, that there's none better than others, kind of to each their own. And so after a long, in-depth discussion, this group of professors went to find their colleague, C.S. Lewis who was a known Christian, and they find C.S. Lewis in his classroom, and they asked him, hey, what makes Christianity different from every other religion? Because we've had this long, in-depth discussion, academic people, about how they're all essentially the same, so what, what would you say makes it any different? As the story goes, C.S. Lewis does not say a word. He stands up, walks over to the chalkboard, and he writes one word, Grace. The concept of grace is foreign to everyone outside of Christianity. But I also think the lived experience or the, what I would call, reality of grace is foreign to many churches, is foreign to many people who proclaim, profess Christ, that they might know it, the concept is clear to them, but the lived experience is foreign, they're not living it in their bones, in their core, where, where, where grace, and as we enter into this new letter, this is going to be a theme we're going to see over and over again, that grace is not merely a doctrine to define, it's a reality to be lived out. And, and this greeting, these first five verses of Galatians will set the tone for the rest of the book in that they reveal the author, they reveal the recipient, and then they reveal the theme that will play central roles throughout the entire book. And so we're going to briefly just look at each of those. And then by the end of this sermon, as we start a new year, I hope that we will find that this is exactly the passage where God wants us on January 2nd. So first, the, the author of the book. And it does not take long for that to be revealed. It's literally the first word. Paul. Imagine starting a letter like that. Paul. And it was customary uh, for those who wrote letters to begin by identifying themselves at the beginning, and if, you know, it's not too hard to understand why, if you think about it, uh, that it's not as common to do that today, because before you open a letter, if you get a letter in the mail, or, or before you get an email or a text or a DM, you already know who it's from before you read it. But in the ancient world, you did not know that when you begin a letter, you're given a scroll or, or something that somebody hands to you and you begin reading. But even with that, it's still a little bit of a jarring of a start. First letter, Paul, boom. Well, okay. Got that covered. And yet, that is significant even in the way he started that. Because as the letter will go on to reveal, one of the reasons Paul is writing to the church in Galatia is to defend himself. It's to defend particularly his authoritative voice as an apostle. Because his authority was being challenged by some prominent voices within the Galatian church. And so a couple of weeks from now, later in chapter 1, Paul is going to kind of give his own testimony. And we're going to have the opportunity to do the deep dive on his life. But for those who are even here or watching uh, who might be unaware, um, Paul was formerly an enemy of Christians in the early church. Paul was what you would consider a made man within the Jewish hierarchy. He was educated, he was a scholar, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body of Jews in Jerusalem, and while he was literally on a mission to go arrest Christians, Paul had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. So, so Paul's story is not a case of someone sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him over a period of time, over several coffee dates, and just wrestling through discussions and doctrines. His story is a single, powerful encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed him forever. And, And so, even in Paul's story, we see that God uses all different ways to save his people. Um... One of the joys I have as a pastor is, uh, and an elder is be able to sit in membership interviews with those who are joining the church. Uh, that Part of that process is a meeting with leadership to kind of share uh, their story of how God came to save them. And so I have a front row seat uh, in how creative God is in saving his people. And over the course of the last five years, I've been able to sit in interviews with over 100 people who have joined Grace Church. And share their story of how God saved them. It's a joy. And actually, I didn't realize that going into it how much I was going to enjoy that part of it. And and there are uh, those who have a story where it is years and years of wrestling through truth and doctrine, um, countless conversations with somebody who maybe is witnessing and being faithful to them, just pouring into them, or somebody who grew up in the church and heard the gospel proclaimed over and over again, but it did not really hit until. Later in life, or teenage years, or college years, and kind of this long-term drawn out that finally the Holy Spirit bestowed their grace upon them and opened their eyes to salvation. That is a story you hear often. But then there's others where there is a singular moment against all odds, completely unexpected, that God just decided it was time for them and revealed himself to them. Uh, So this past year, there was one couple, um, they're in their late 20s now, just had their first child a couple months ago. Uh, They began dating their freshman year of college. Uh, He was a Division I baseball player and uh, was struggling with some things kind of early on, uh, kind of got into some trouble, and uh, he accepted an invitation of a teammate to go to something called Monday Night Bible Study. It was a college ministry. And decided, like, why not? Let's just go. No expectations. Goes there Monday night hears the gospel, responds in faith, and gets saved. Goes to his girlfriend and tells, who is now his wife, by the way, that will help in the story, Um, and she gets so frustrated with him that he went and did this. Because now he said, you know, know, this, this thing happened to me, I experienced this, I I think some things might have to change in our relationship. I just kind of want to talk about some things. And she got so frustrated that he would be so selfish to go and kind of ruin their relationship by going and getting saved at Monday night Bible study. So the very next Monday night, she goes with him, not because she's interested herself. She literally, this is what she said in the interview, goes there in order to get the tools necessary to disprove why he made a bad decision, right? To disprove the fact that like what you did was silly, It's not necessary. She goes to Monday night Bible study, gets saved. The very next week, here's the gospel proclaimed. The spirit, just in his kindness and grace, reveals himself to this couple one Monday after another, unexpectedly, freshman in college, no desire for the things of God going in, and he turns the lights on. Why? How would you attribute that? Grace. And Paul here encounters in his story the living Christ. And because he did that, he's able to claim his authority as an apostle. He says, not from men. Paul, an apostle, not from men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And again, we'll have the opportunity to dig more into this later. But the difference between disciples and apostles... Is a while a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. An apostle in the New Testament means one who is sent by Christ, personally sent by Christ. And so the apostles were the ones who Jesus Christ uh, commissioned. They witnessed his resurrection, and then he commissioned them and sends them to go be his hands and his feet to start this movement of the church. And Paul was unique, in that Paul was the only apostle who did not follow Jesus in his earthly ministry. But even still, he was personally sent by Christ. And because he had a little bit of a unique case, you'll see all throughout his letters in his ministry, he was always having to defend his calling. Because he had a lot of people kind of speaking questions into that. So at the beginning of all his letters, he is defending his calling as an apostle. But the reason was not out of vanity, was not out of self centeredness, was not that Paul wanted to be in the limelight and get the recognition that he deserved. His defending of himself was born out of his passion for the truth of the gospel, and to see people set free, because he sees and he's traveling, seeing people, religious and non-religious, just pinned down by the oppression of not understanding the reality of grace, And he knew that he couldn't separate the message from the messenger. And so if his authority would be rejected, then the gospel he proclaimed would also be discarded. And that would have horrific consequences. So his calling came from God, but that calling also united him with the brothers in the faith, which is why he says also, and all the brothers who are with me. Paul's not a lone ranger. He's not just going rogue on his own. He, he's not just trying to stand above everyone else. He's saying, there are brothers here with me, that when God saves us, he unites us with others. So his authority uh, came from God, but then it united him with those around him. That's the author Let's see who he's writing to. Verse two, he said, to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a Roman province in the region of Asia Minor. It's what we know today as modern day Turkey. And it's the region that Paul spent time in during his first missionary journey that Luke writes about in Acts 13 and 14. So I have a map on the screen to show uh, the red line is the route coming from Antioch, which was the sending church for Paul and Barnabas. And the middle green region is Galatia. And he traveled through that region, planting churches, proclaiming the gospel. And it's within that region that now upon coming back from that first missionary journey, he writes to them in pretty short order. It's widely thought that Galatians was the first letter written by Paul. And as an evangelist, an evangelist and church planner, he would, again, travel to cities, proclaim the gospel, see people respond in faith, and then raise up leaders to begin a church before moving on to the next city. And each church in those cities in the region of Galatia were as churches are now. What is a church? A church is a local outpost representing the kingdom of God in this world. It is an embassy of the kingdom of God in the kingdoms of this world. And those local outposts are called then and called now to proclaim and live out the good news of the gospel and the commands of Christ the King. That from the beginning, God's global plan is through the ministry of local churches. Big churches, small churches, urban churches, rural churches. A global plan carried out through local churches, which is why missions work again then and missions work now should always prioritize the planting of healthy churches and the essential problem in Galatia again within relatively short order of Paul planting that church and the reason why he is writing is that after he left the region these young christians young in the faith not necessarily young in age came under the influence of certain individuals and teachers who either were already there but then waited till Paul to leave to stir some trouble or came in after Paul left to discredit his authority and the gospel he proclaimed and the particular distortion of the gospel which we will see over and over and over again over the course of this series and it's going to be the primary point of next week's passage but but in if you boil it down what was the issue in Galatia is that there were individuals saying that in order to be a good Christian you first had to become a good Jew meaning that salvation was faith in Christ. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but it's also plus obedience to Jewish customs and Jewish law. In order to be a good Christian, you first had to become a good Jew. And Paul is not so much concerned with the fact that there is a false gospel out there being taught. Paul warned all these churches, listen, people are going to come in among you. There's going to be false gospels, there's going to be false distortions. They're all over the place. He's not surprised by that. What he is surprised by is how quickly this church is giving in to a false gospel. How quickly they lost confidence in grace. They knew about grace, but they did not live in the reality of it and they start settling for and giving into lesser things so that's the author that's a quick look at the recipient and now we're going to see the major theme that's going to be traced throughout let me read verses 3 and 4 again 3 and 4 grace to you And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Many of you who know your Bible know that in this letter, what's coming in the following verses, Paul is going to have a strong rebuke against the churches in Galatia. It's going to be probably his most emotional, his most frustrated tone of all the letters he's written, and for good reason, as we'll see. But I think it is wrong to say that he starts the letter with a rebuke, because before anything, he brings them back to grace. Grace to you. It's the greeting we often skip over. It's the skim read of the greeting to get to the good meat of Paul's letters and it's a mistake if we do that. That this church that has blown it in a lot of ways, he does not start with a strong condemnation but rather he starts with grace. And again, maybe a fitting passage for us to start a new year. For those who are weary this morning, those who were wayward, those who maybe lost confidence in the faith they once held dear. For those who blew it, the initial word from the Lord and His word is not punishment, it's not condemnation, but a return to grace. Perhaps you're not able to articulate it if you are a believer, but what some of the struggles that you've been having, perhaps some of it is a degree of confidence that you have lost in grace. A, a loss of sight of what it means to be truly free in Christ and not just knowing about that, but living out of that freedom. Can you ask yourself the honest question? Are you living in light of the freedom of grace? Do you sense a nearness to Christ? Do you experience the affections of what it's like for the Holy Spirit to be in you, dwelling within you, guiding you? Are you living in light of the freedom of grace? Or do you feel pinned down to all who are weary at the start of a new year? Grace to you. Perhaps if you're here or if you're watching this morning and you're not a believer, and perhaps you've seen the concept of grace as too foreign, and maybe you've been around it or you've heard it, but you just can't get there. You feel like you can't get your mind there. You can't really understand the point of it all. Maybe it looks too easy to you. The world doesn't work that way. You only get what you give. You only take out what you put in. There's no free passes. Maybe grace is a really foreign concept to you. To all who are skeptical at the start of a new year, grace to you. This series, above all else, of what I'm hoping to get out of it for our church is a deep look into true freedom, the freedom of grace. And in this greeting, Paul, with a stunning brevity and conciseness, shows us the fullness of grace in a single sentence. Uh, There's a man named Martin DeHaan. He was a Christian Reformed pastor from Michigan. Some of you might recognize that name because he's most known for finding, uh, being the founder of an organization called Our Daily Bread Ministries. That he founded in 1938, that I know many of you still uh, subscribe to year after year as your primary devotional. Martin De also wrote a commentary on Galatians in 1960, which, fun fact, was tucked on a shelf in our commentary section of our church library. And reading through that, studying that in preparation for this series, along with the other resources, Tahan observed that in this often overlooked greeting Paul gives the fullness of grace and he gives it in kind of four ways that we're just briefly going to look at channel, purpose, source and reason for grace we'll have them on the screen. And that first in this intro he gives the channel of grace. Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. We are just coming off a season of anticipating and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And the reason why that birth was worth celebrating, and the reason why, if you remember in that series, we looked at the passage where the angel came to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Joseph, your wife Mary is pregnant, and she's with child, and you shall call his name Jesus for, he gives one reason why that she's pregnant, for he will save his people from their sins. And now, on this side of the story, Paul is declaring that Jesus accomplished what he set out to do. He was the channel of grace. Jesus is not just a doctrine to think about. He is a person to know. He gave himself. When somebody sacrifices for you in life, even in small ways, it it does something to you. It changes you. It moves you. It Above all else, Jesus is the one who gave himself, his body broken, his blood shed to atone for our sins. Jesus paid it all, and there is no debt outstanding. Second, the purpose of grace is in this greeting If the what is that Jesus gave himself for our sins, the so what is that he did it in order to deliver us from this present evil age. That the gospel is a rescue story. The gospel is a freedom story. For we are free to live in this world while citizens of another kingdom. Remember, our church is a local outpost. We are an embassy of God's kingdom. Uh, John Stott, who I quoted earlier, says uh, on this verse that the Christian life is living in this age... The life of the age to come we are living in this age the kind of lives that will happen in the age to come the gospel doesn't just mean something for you in the future but the reality is it means something for you now we are a resurrection people we are an easter people and we live risen lives today third, this greeting provides the source of grace. It is the sovereign will and purpose of the Father that before the foundations of the earth was set, before the oceans and the landscapes and the wildlife were made visible, this was the will of the Father. Your will be done to choose us for adoption, to choose us to be sons and daughters and invite us into the eternal relationship of the triune family of God. Every time you go home and you turn on your faucet at home, there needs to be a source of water for anything to come out that we often take for granted. And in order for God's grace to come upon you, there needs to be a source of grace and church that well runs deep the sovereign will of the Father. And then fourth and finally, this greeting gives us the reason for grace. It is to bring God glory forever and ever. God's glory is our highest aim in life. It's the chief end through which God created and redeemed the world So before anything else in this letter, and we're going to go deep into Galatians over the next several months, the first note that it begins with, Paul's message to the church is that we are saved, we are kept, and we are delivered by grace. Grace to you. And notice at the end of verse 5, after sharing that fullness of grace in a single sentence, he says, amen. Amen. Paul just brought them to a place of worship in a sentence. You know what amen means? Do you know what amen means? It means let it be true. Every time you say amen, you're saying let it be, let it be true. It's why we conclude our prayers with amen, let it be. I'm sure there might be a couple of you who watched part or all of the eight-hour documentary on the Beatles that came out around Thanksgiving. I'm not, can't say I'm a big fan of the Beatles, but I'm interested in what other people are interested in. I've heard just a lot of talk about it, that this documentary covers the making of their 1970 album called Let It Be. And the album is headlined by the song of the same title. It was written by Paul McCartney, Let It Be. And he says that phrase reminded him of his mother, whose name was Mary, who passed away when he was only 14 years old. Because his mother would always reassure him with those words when he was feeling down as a child. She would say, it's going to be okay, son. Let it be. And that is good advice from a mother to a son, but even so, it's flawed to a degree. Because the only way we can truly say, let it be, the only way we can know that it's going to be okay is if it's God is the one who says it. It's only going to be okay if the gift of God's, tr- God's grace is true. If it's God saying to you, grace to you, it's going to be okay. Amen. Let it be. We all need to go back to grace to move forward in life. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this new year in a little bit of a more bizarre fashion than we are used to, all the same, Lord, we know that there are areas of our lives that we want to move forward with. Some of us have a list written out in a detailed plan, Others have vague desires and hopes for this upcoming year as the calendar turns. Father, I know we have hopes for our church in 2022. And Father, goals can be good. Hopes and plans have their place. But I pray, Father, that they would all be done only in the context of grace that they would be done in the light of grace, that first we would return to that grace which first saved us, that grace which is keeping us, and that grace which promises to deliver us and frees us to then live out in the ways that you are calling us to. So Father, I pray for this church. I pray that as we do begin a new year, that we would understand that this entire year would be under the cloak of the phrase grace to you grace to us. And Father, I especially pray for that grace to be bestowed on anybody who is here or is listening, who has not yet put their faith in you, Lord, that you would give them the grace to see for the first time who you are, what you've done, and that reality you have freed us into. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.